Hello and welcome to this episode of Mostly Folk. Today is another special episode. We have on the phone with us Banjo Nickaroo and the Western Scooches. Well, we don't have all the Western Scooches, but we do have part of the band, and that would be Nick Russo and Bettina Hershey. So let's start it off with a tune from their new album, Very Next Thing. This is Banjo Nickaroo and the Western Scooches. My name's Otto Martello, and welcome to Mostly Folk. From the album Very Next Thing, that was Banjo Nickaroo in the Western Scooches, and that was Bettina Hershey singing 
lead vocals on Freight Train. Great tune, great way to start the program today, and I think what we'll do is jump right into the telephone conversation that I had with Nick and Bettina about this oddly named band and learn all about it. I'm speaking with Nick Russo, who is known as Banjo Nickaroo. And naturally, my first question to you, Nick, is going to be, how did you come up with this name? And uh, also the name of the group that you're playing with. Uh, Give me a little background on that. Sure. Well, my grandfather, also a Nick Russo, actually played with Red Nichols and his Five Pennies and played with Spike Jones. And when we were growing up, as kids, he would always say, oh, you're being a scooch. If my sister and I are one of our cousins, Jacqueline and Micah would, like, touch one of us or touch him. It was like a loving tap, like loving kind of asking for attention in a physical way. So he'd call us a scooch. And uh, he's Italian, <laughs> but I think Italian is a little bit related to Yiddish. And, you know, uh, they grew up in Brooklyn and Queens. And Western scooches just kind of made sense because we're putting out a country folk kind of world album in a so, so to speak. And Banjo Nickaroo, I guess, came out of people playing with my name. Um, I used to date someone named Alina, and she was from Russia. And I toured all through Russia. And I know in, in the Russian culture, you'd play with the names like Ilinka or Nick or Nikaroo, so uh, that maybe influenced it. And then a logistical reason, on Facebook, nobody can find uh, me as Nick Russo because it's such a common name. But Banjo Nickaroo comes <laughs> yeah. up right away. And uh, okay. also, I yeah. I was the last the last part of the – sorry, the long answer, but I played primarily – No, this is, this is <laughs> explanatory. I uh, played primarily tenor banjo um, and guitar um, in Vince Giordano's band for many years and, and a lot of different groups. So I was doing so much banjo playing, it made sense. But and now on this album, I'm playing five-string. Uh, people might think, oh, this guy is naming himself after, you know, being a, a five-string banjo player. But it really comes from tenor banjo. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's so funny because, you know, being Italian, uh, the word the word itself, tell me the meaning of the word. Scooch. Oh, scooch. I just know it as, like, uh, bugging or annoying, but always in a fun way. Yeah, exactly. Way. Yeah. Exactly, because my mother, my <laughs> my mother used that term all the time. Uh, oh, wow. She attached it. She used to say "squitchagats," which oh, in Italian, which a in word. Italian means you're a pain in the ass. <laughs> Actually, I think already. I think it means a pain in something else, but we won't see it on the air. <laughs> yeah, all right. Okay. Sorry, right, maybe. <laughs> if I remember, if I remember I have, correctly. I don't want to mark this as explicit. <laughs> <laughs> so it may be explicit to the Italians, but I don't, you know, it, it doesn't matter to me. <laughs> okay, so so we've got the history of uh, Banjo Nicaro and uh, and and why the Western squitches. <laughs> I guess because why are they Western? Yeah, I guess if they're Western, it's a little bit of uh, kind of a joke, but also because we are playing uh, some Western music. A lot of the the gigs we did. This is the first album, by the way coming out mm-hmm. September 30th, but before that we were just playing gigs and playing different, like, train tunes. We got hired to play. We still get hired to play on the train every year, and the Nostalgic Train comes out in New York City, and we play a lot of train tunes, a lot of old, old-timey, old so Western just kind of naturally went with scritches. Um, 
to kind of specify that. And we have another band called Hot Jazz Jumper, so I wanted to differentiate the two different repertoires, where that band focuses more on 20s. This band focuses on, although we play 20s music, but we also play old-timey and a lot of originals inspired by uh, roots music and folk music. that accompanies this CD, they talk about this being the only band that infuses elements of the Gullah Goochie culture with folk traditions. And I asked Nick about that. Um, we learned so much from Dr. David Pleasant. I've been in his band for probably over 15 years. Uh, Miles Griffith is also a member of his band. And we, by the way, we are both members of Miles Griffith's New, New King. So the three of us, Miles, 
myself and David Pleasant have been playing together for many years. And David, um, his, him and his family come from that area, uh, the Gullah Sea Islands, where they took the instruments away from freed Africans and slaves alike. And the whole development of music came out of playing on the body, so body drumming, hand jive comes out of that, playing with a stick, using the mouth and the voice as an instrument. The Charleston and, uh, and the Carolinas came out of Kolmogichi culture. Um, there's records of um, Ira Gershwin studying that, definitely Dizzy Gillespie, many, many artists. Uh, it really shaped uh, American, the American songbook. But it doesn't get as much uh, credit as New Orleans. I mean, obviously, New Orleans is an amazing culture and melting pot and has a huge influence. But so did um, the Gullah culture. And it's we're really blessed that we're probably the only band playing folk music and uh, roots music with this Gullah culture, with this instrumentation. Um, so it's it's been a blessing. And we, our sound is just so unique. I'm not just saying that because I'm in the band. I, I thought David sounded so unique when I first met him and you could see by his bio playing, you know, being a dancer, choreographing for um, Urban Bushwomen and playing with Paul Simon and Cecil Taylor and it's just yeah, been such a journey, you know, playing with him. So everything was recorded live. Um, we start off with um, a video. We've done a lot of them actually in our apartment and we have food on one side of the apartment and a video uh, camera person or persons uh, on the other side, and basically we, we play tunes totally just live, and usually take the first, second take, no overdubs, no arrangements, nothing pre-planned, no agenda, and then we may go into a studio, we usually go to a studio afterwards, an audio studio, um, using my cousin Lenny's, Lenny Monticello studio, Soundtronics, and we'll do an audio session there, again, pretty much live, it's a very organic process, and we'll often videotape that as well, and then what we did was we put out an album, a video, a DVD with our other band, our sister band, Hot Jazz Jumpers. And when I entered the folk world, uh, inspired by Efrat, and with Efrat we got to play with uh, Linda Ronstadt's nephew, Michael Ronstadt, an amazing cello player, amazing musicians at Nerfa. And, and I was really inspired um, to enter that world. We were mindful of the length of each song. We were also mindful of some of the improvised Gullah influence rhythms that David was improvising and the band was playing off him. So we actually made some of them shorter at the end of the tune. And by the way, not to do the music justice, when we play a live show, we obviously have the energy of the audience and it's live so we can get more into those mm -hmm. rhythms and people can enjoy them. But for the, I should say, not I don't mean to say the folk world, but for the recorded music industry and for folk radio and other platforms, as you know, where things need to be shorter, more concise, and also the song order and the collection of songs, we were very mindful, and hence the this album was uh, born. <laughs> and, you know, we mm. wanted to make it more originals, but we thought the two that we chose were appropriate. Um, I'm Getting Married is a really fun song that Bettina and I wrote when we were married, and it was never mm. released. And uh, we just gave it to our family as a gift, but it was very popular amongst our family. We play it. Um, now we're really ready to um, go on the road with uh, with the trio and the quartet, and uh, we're actually honored to be able to play Wood Songs in Kentucky. We're going to now play as a trio with Dr. David Pleasant on uh, September 19th. You 
gave me a smile, you gave me a chance. Now I'm moving boxes and learning to dance. Once I had a maid cleaning up my mess. Now I'm scrubbing toilets and hooking your dress. I'm getting I'm getting married. Uh, the song you're ready. I I don't believe in love. Tell me about that one. Yeah, now Bettina wrote that. And by the way, she is she's here today. Said so you wanted a couple words from her to make this podcast a little bit more colorful and change the text sure. my voice. You can have her. Uh, I can actually.
banjo Nickaroo and the Western Scooches, and that was Bettina Hershey doing the lead vocal on a tune she wrote, I Don't Believe in Love. At this point in the conversation, Nick turned the phone over to Bettina, and let's listen in on the conversation. So you don't believe in love? <laughs> I love that song. <laughs> that song is totally about how, you know, you go through a phase in your life where you're like, I need to love somebody, I need to love somebody, and then you get all needy. So if you say, I don't believe in love, doesn't matter, then you then you really can love somebody the right way without grabbing on. <laughs> so Nick gave me his take on the band. Uh, let's hear your take on it. How do you feel about this? Uh, the band, the whole project. Yeah. Uh, the band, man. everything. Yeah, it's really fun because we Nick and I get to do gig dates together, and and uh, it, it's just such a pleasure to play music together. And then mm-hmm. I get to, I love how uh, he got excited about playing five string banjo and and doing Americana and folk and bluegrass because that's the world that I come from. And my mom used to sing me all kinds of songs from from this this style of music, and uh, it just brings me right back to this really coziness. Mm-hmm. And then he has his wild musicians that he brings into the project that take it to a completely different place than I would have ever imagined. And What's your background? Where did you grow up? I was born and raised in New York City, but my my dad came from Wichita, Kansas, and my mom came from. Uh, maybe the Boston area, but her family moved around a lot. And they both met in New York City. My dad went to Juilliard. He's a trumpet player. And uh, my mom always played the piano and she always sang. So like I had a really huge variety of music that I listened to. My mom would, my mom and I would listen to like Bonnie Raitt and Stevie Wonder and James Taylor and uh, Annie Lou Harris and uh, Alison Krauss. And we'd sing uh She'd sing, you, you are my sunshine to me, and uh, dream, 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 and things like that. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, and when, as I was getting older, she got really into Prince, and like she was always giving me all kinds of musical uh, introductions, and I, I, she handed me Joni Mitchell, so I, when I was in high school, I listened to Joni Mitchell nonstop, and I just loved her lyrics and and the subject matter of her songs. So, aside from singing and playing guitar on the album, I noticed that you also have danced in uh, various Broadway shows. Yeah, so I, uh, my dad plays in Phantom of the Opera, and I was so lucky to get to play Meg, the little ballerina girl, um, wow. Where in the world have you been hiding? <laughs> and I got to do that uh, in the Music Box National Tour, so I got to see so much of the country. And I, I discovered that every city I went to, I had to find an open mic, a swing dance place, and a health food store, and I would feel like home, and I'd meet people in the town, and it would be cozy. Yeah, I've done a, I've done a lot of musical theater. One interesting show that I did was Pump Boys and Dinette, which um, has two females that are waitresses, and then it has a band of characters that are like the, the guys, and they, they actually play instruments, and uh, they're, they're characters in the show. 
and I showed up to the audition with my guitar and played like some tough song and they actually changed one of the male characters to be a female for me and and I got to be in the band that was really fun terrific uh, I take it you guys have no kids we do we have two two kids they're twins so they are six oh. almost six they're five and three quarters and and we've been somehow managing to be full-time musicians and uh while having kids yeah what happens when when you guys are out touring what do we, what, what happens to the kids so some it, back in the old days we were just looking at a, a video from when they were babies and i actually was wearing uh, one baby in a sling while I was singing and Nick was wearing another one in a backpack while he was singing. <laughs> and then they got too old for us to do that and we had to actually get babysitters. And since we do a lot of late night gigs, we ended up um, having an au pair. So we had someone this year from Italy who was living with us in between high school and college. She was here for a year. And it was really like they become a part of the family. It's really a pleasure. One, two, one, two, three. I saw Robin this morning, not feeling like it today. Gonna wrap my cares in a whistle, blow them all away. What if I've been unlucky, really having a thing? There's a time I always feel happy, happy as a king. When the red, red robin goes pop, pop, pop along, along. Cheer up, cheer up. 
if you guys have to do any major touring as the band catches on, that's going to be a problem, unless you take them with you. Um, yeah, we do know some people that homeschool their kids, and I remember when I was on the road with Phantom of the Opera, there was a kid that was out on the road with their parents, and they were just homeschooling. That sounds like a, a viable option. It might even be better considering the way the educational system is going these days. <laughs> you really don't need college. Like You could go straight into the whole uh, performance world. I I stumbled into college because I at first I said to my parents, that's it, I'm just going to go dance and perform, I'm not going to college, and they said, okay, but you know, just apply, and I ended up getting a full scholarship, so... Great talking to you, and let's put Nick back on for a while, and, and we'll finish up the interview. Excellent. Very nice to talk to you. Same here, to locate Tina, huh? Nick. He has wandered off to some other. He is curious. 
talk to you later. Bye. Bye bye. Hi, Artie. Hey, tell me about where you grew up and how you got involved in music, and why sure, the banjo. Because I have sure. a, <laughs> I have a. You could probably find it on the internet, but the, there was a cartoon in the New Yorker, and it's a guy talking on his phone, and behind him is a guy with a banjo, and it says, "I'm trapped in an elevator." Wait, it gets worse. Yeah, if you Google that, you'll find the cartoon somewhere. <laughs> it's pretty awesome. funny. Uh, funny. But but what you know? How did how did you pick up the banjo, and what kind of influences did you have that made you go that route? I actually got a gig in Japan with a jazz quartet, and I had to learn banjo like immediately to get this gig. Um, but it was it was a sort of gig where it was going to be an amazing opportunity. It was a, a great drummer, Ian Patillo, and his quartet. And so I'd be there with, with a good friend of mine, a great drummer. And so uh, I learned the banjo quickly. Um, I tuned it as a tenor, but then I didn't feel comfortable. So when I was in Japan, I tuned it back to um, the top four strings of a guitar. And I felt that I was cheating. Um, and that, that does that does exist. Obviously, there are six-string six banjos tuned like guitars and, and even in music history. However, uh, years later, when my first album came out, which was all original experimental jazz in 2006 called Row, at the same time I was playing with Vince Giordano and the Nighthawks and playing even maybe a year before 2005 and learning tenor banjo on the spot.
actually really have to thank that Japanese experience, um, playing in Japan for a month, and also uh, my major thanks to Vince Giordano for inspiring me to play the banjo. And, you know, I, I felt like I was studying with him, too. Like, every conversation I was learning, you know, Vince, as you know, is also a great banjo player. And him and I both play over at Birdland on Wednesdays, um, you know, with the Louis Armstrong, um, he used to be called the Centennial Band. Now I think it's called the Millennium Band with David Oswald. So, you know, doing those gigs and playing around town um, in Vince's band and uh, Grand Street Stompers, I, I basically just had to learn by necessity. Like, I love this music. I was getting called to play this music. And I think people called me, too, because I knew all these tunes um, being around my grandfather. And I also played with an older singer that went by the name of um, Reed Harper. His real name was Lou Papora, and he had been in showbiz this for many, many, so, excuse me, Lou Papora had been in show business many, many years, so when I was playing duo gigs with him, he just was an amazing entertainer. I learned all these tunes. I was playing banjo with him as well. So to answer your question, it just came out of necessity. Um, as most musicians are in a city, such as New York City, you get called for a gig, and then you just hone in your craft. You realize, wow, I'm getting a lot of calls and playing tanner banjo every night of the week. So, uh, yeah, I just really learned those fifths quickly. And in Vince Rodano's band, I had to learn how to sight read in fifths, which is really challenging, especially picking up the guitar, playing, you know, treble clef and guitar tuning. I was always a very strong reader, um, just playing a lot of gigs and playing in the Big Apple Circus. But then having to play on banjo, read on tenor banjo with a different tuning, create some challenges. I also play um, a lot of, with um, Dreamland Orchestra and um, many other groups. Mona's Hot Four, which has been 10 years now, we play over in the Lower East Side. So a, a lot of great band leaders hang out there and sit in at the huge uh, trad jazz jam session. So, um, yeah, I play a lot of banjo and probably 20 or 20 different groups as a side person. Uh, and that's what uh, I was so tired the other night when I emailed you. So, yeah, just mm -hmm. like learning on the spot. And, you know, now I feel much more comfortable on tenor. But now this new challenge of really um, playing more gigs on five-string, um, which is different tuning. I actually brought my five-string last night to a gig where we were playing jazz, but I played it like a plectrum. So really trying to keep my different tunings uh, exercised. It really stretches mm -hmm. the ear. I read in your biographical information that you played for Paul McCartney at Gwyneth Paltrow's home. Yeah, that was an amazing experience. Michael Aranella and Dreamland Orchestra had a small combo group gig, just a, a jazz gig with a quartet. And uh, we finished the set, and the organizer asked us to um, play continuously, which sometimes happens on gigs. It's a little bit strange because musicians do need to take a break. So to accommodate her, he said, okay, we'll work something out. And I offered to play solo guitar. And we had seen Paul. He was there um, hanging out, and um, coincidentally, he was – mouthing the words to all these tunes and michael calls a lot of obscure 20s tunes and paul knew them all and as i played solo guitar i was playing a, a jobim tune a brazilian tune so that's samba paul came right over to me with a toy harmonica and all the cameras followed him and videotaped us jamming together and we actually talked a little bit um in between like we played a little bit and he was just so humble it was so down to earth and i finished that tune and i immediately went to uh, slow blues and he sounded great, both just amazing ears, amazing musicianship. We talked a little bit about kids. He was holding a young child around the same ages as our twins at that time. And so it just got this very down-to-earth, human-to-human connection. And it was also videotaped. Now, there is a video on Gwyneth, Gwyneth Paltrow. Let me say that again. There is a video 
on Gwyneth Paltrow's website of us playing and Paul there dancing around. And oh, Stella cool. McCartney was there. It's really cool. Stella McCartney so, uh, went to business with uh, Gwyneth. So if, uh, yeah, so if people want to, uh, people could check that out if, if they so desire. And uh, that's really neat. Again, I'm speaking with Nick Russo, better known as Banjo Nickaroo, and this album, which is titled Very Next Thing, is going to be officially released on September 30th. Uh, you'll be hearing tracks of that album during this conversation today, but the official release of the album is September 1st. Uh, did, did I say, wait a minute. I, I said September 30th, but it is the, released the, on September 1st, right? The, the radio release is September 1st, that's correct, and our official release date for press is September 30th, and that's when we'll have our release concert at Rockwood Music Hall, uh, Stage 3, at 7 p.m. one set. That's over okay. on uh, 196 Allen Street. But all that information will be on our website, com. also Instagram, hashtag BanjoNickaroo. And you can also find us, if you just Google our name, uh, all the different social uh, media come up. But our Facebook is banjo.nickaroo. Uh, and also we have a, a you know Twitter account under my name, which is russonick11, which we'll be sharing your – we're honored to share your podcast, by the way, with all our different social media. Fantastic. And also, yeah. if, if, the pod, if your podcast, if this podcast comes out before September 9th, I would love to say that Friday, September 9th, we'll be at Alleycat in Kingston um, as Banjo Nickaroo and Western Scritches Trio with Patina Hershey and Dr. David Pleasant. And that's a great club, great energy. The owner is a huge fan of music, and we'll be playing there on yeah, Friday, September 9th. It's called Alley Cat in Kingston. So for our upstate music fans, it'll be great. Terrific. And also I was going to um, mention if we can talk a little bit about some of the recommended tracks of the album. that uh, Please the, do. Uh, yeah, so Freight Train is our opener and such a great and amazing tune. We're so inspired to play um, the music of Elizabeth Cotton. And I know Bettina loves it myself. We love the video of her that exists, of her playing guitar. And I think it's a great representation of the group. And David Pleasant plays an amazing harmonica solo on it. And also, uh, You Are My Sunshine it has a Calypso, very island influence um, having Miles Griffith and Bettina Hershey on that track, you really get to hear uh, Miles' amazing, unique uh, vocalies. And his aunt is Calypso Rose, uh, one of the most famous Calypso singers. And we're honored to have uh, Mamadou Ba playing bass on both those. Never know, no, dear, no, 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 no
Dr. David Pleasant and Miles Griffith. But then when we tr- tour, we may play as a trio with just Bettina, myself, and David. And then sometimes we bring in different musicians. We'll be bringing in uh, Neil Murugai, um on sitar um, on the next, next album. <laughs> and, uh, of course, uh, we uh, have uh, Essie and Essie has played bass on um, a bunch of tracks. And great trumpet player Gordon Now plays on Red Red Robin, which is another great selected track if you like the music of the 20s. And we have Dennis Lickman from Molinus Hot 4 on that track as well. And this incredible trombone player, Josh Holcomb, who will join us on our CD release September 30th at Rockwood Music Hall, is also featured on one of the tracks. And do you know Josh Holcomb? He leads the band Lucky Chops, which was uh, on MTV, and they're touring all around the world, and people know them. Um, they're an amazing brass band with uh, just a lot of fun musicians but also really high level uh, musicians just making great music and having a great great feel so uh, we're l- really blessed to have uh, Josh not only on the album but also on the release uh, at Rockwood Music Hall. One of the most important tracks on our album that represents the group is Giacomo track 5 and that, I just feel that having a New Orleans and Gullah Geechee influence is very unique especially with Patina and Miles his vocalese and that was completely improvised the arrangement and then we loved what we did so we kind of learned from ourselves how we did it um that one just has a very unique feel to it especially with david strumming and um and then the other one is nobody but my baby is getting my love which is an eva taylor um tune um lesser known tune from the 1920s and i love the way basina sings it and playing with these many groups i don't know any other bands that currently that are doing that tune at least live or at least um the new york city area or even some New Orleans bands that I play with. So we're happy to have that as one of the featured tracks on the album. All right, one, two, one, two, three, four.
This is Banjo Nickaroo and Western Scritches, and you are listening to Artie Martello's Mostly Folk, podcasting all over the world and available on iTunes, Mixcloud, TuneIn Radio, Radio Satellite 2, and always at mostlyfolk.org. Thanks so much, Artie, for having myself and Tina Hershey on your station. Stay in touch with us, banjonickaroo.com, and we're on Instagram, banjonickaroo. Well, you certainly welcome, Nick, and I want to remind everyone that I'm speaking with Banjo Nickaroo, and we did speak with Bettina Hershey for a bit, and I'm going to continue this conversation that I had with Banjo Nickaroo, a.k.a. Nick Russo, and Nick speaks a bit about his dad. My dad, Rich Russo, was in the band called Scarecrow, not the Scarecrow, because that was another band. Scarecrow in the 1960s, they were on Columbia Records. They were a trio with face makeup, managed by the same manager that later managed Kiss. And they toured, opening up for Sly and the Family Stone on the road. Oh, wow. And went through those times where there was a lot of racism, and there was a a white band and a black band together on the road. And he also played for Chuck Berry. And he had uh, another band called uh, Modern Soul Quartet MSQ and... The Ebb Tones, probably in the late 50s. Wow. So uh, my dad was a really amazing musician and a great composer. His his songs, he had a hit record when he was 13 years old. And also um, <laughs> my grandfather, also another Nick Russo, played with Red Nichols and his Five Pennies and Spike Jones. So we have a lineage of uh, musicians. And I also want to mention my Uncle Mike, who's still alive. We just visited him when we played in Tennessee. He's an amazing, amazing composer, singer, and blues guitar player influenced by Jimi Hendrix and Johnny Winter and Muddy Waters. So I basically, I consider him one of my teachers and I grew up just playing blues guitar. That's how I got my start. Um, actually playing drums on my dad's recording sessions. Uh, this is after Scarecrow. This is when he had his own home studio and had a family, but um, I was like not eight or nine, maybe seven, seven years old playing drums on those tracks. And my dad became a producer and produced Autumn Hayes and uh, helped, um, you know, produce and recorded some other groups um you know after after i was born my sister and i came along and uh yeah drums was my first instrument so i got to play drums with all those amazing musicians and uh just grew up in a musical family uh but i still you know jam with my uncle mike he actually plays on one track of our sister group's album hot jazz jumpers and my uncle johnny who's passed away my mom's brother um also an amazing singer songwriter actually mcdonald's contacted us a year after he died saying uh, thank you for submitting one of his songs and, you know, was interested. And, you know, he's a, just like still have all those family recordings and just uh, grew up in just this amazing musical family playing all the time. Yeah. That's amazing. That, I mean, that, the, you've answered my question about your background and, and how yeah. you got involved in uh, playing. And, and it's, it's fairly clear that you, you had all these influences around you. That really neat. No one to walk with. All by myself No one to talk with But I'm happy on the shelf Hey, misbehaving I'm saving my love for you If it's true I know for certain
social media do you, do you think this is the state of the art right now and and how did how does something like this uh, that the things that are happening today compare with what musicians had to go through in the past that's a really good question i've talked to a lot of people about that uh, kevin dorn is a great drummer on the 20s trad scene an expert at this music he feels like he would order VHS tapes and pay a lot of money to hear and see these bands, what was, whatever was documented on video, got them shipped, try to find vintage uh, VHS um, tapes on eBay. So now that things are so easily uh, accessible to all musicians, it's great for the musicians who are real um, woodshedders, who really like to put the work in and practice. However, there's something to be said about it being so easy to get to. I think it could affect people's psyche, and maybe they won't work as hard or appreciate it in general because it's always there. And also, mm -hmm. as you know, like not having vinyl, not having a record player play an entire album from beginning to end and really focus on that, or even just focus on a couple things but have that as like part of your stimuli while you're doing your work. Um, go from that to like access Spotify anywhere in the world and musicians are not getting some of the money and you might randomly choose tunes. Um, I think it affects our psyche and affects our appreciation for the music. But on the positive side, musicians are now able to directly connect with their audience and, and basically people can buy things directly from them 
hit and eliminates the middle person. Um, it also allows musicians to get a, have a relationship with their audiences, and, and obviously I'm honored to be able to get to know you, whereas in the past I would always just have, um, you know, do everything myself but then have a radio PR person, which is a blessing too, but if you really connect with everyone yourself um, through social media, it's it's just so amazing. And another band I play with, Danny Wellington's band, we had a great gig last night. He's an amazing musician, but also I feel a real master of um, Instagram, even though he's very humble about it. I felt like just talking to him last night was a, was a free lesson, and he's able to um, really get a lot of people to know about this music through his wonderful photos. I also feel he's a great photographer, so you have Instagram with a great photo, you know, and uh, great videos out there, and um, people get to find you through hashtags, so you find people that like Golagishi or like Roots music. Mm. I want to find Banjo Nikaru or Nick Russo or Bettina yeah. Hershey. They can find us. It's, it is an interesting phenomenon because I think we're only at, <laughs> at at the beginnings of it, and where it's going to go from here, I don't know. In actuality, it's kind of scary because uh, I just <laughs> I just finished reading an article called Apocalypse Soon, and it has to do with uh, something called GNR, and it, it stands for Genetics, Nanotechnology, and Robotics. And those three things are changing the face of the earth, really. And, right. and in some ways may actually be implementing our doom because this author and many scientists believe that we're in the very first stages of the next total annihilation of of mankind. And <laughs> it is kind of crazy you know, when you think about robots being able to uh, do things that people are doing now and the ability to actually uh, computerize your own mind so that you can live forever. It's it's so unthinkable, actually. But on on the other end of social media is the fact, and I experience this a lot, that just about everybody now is a recording artist. And they get a microphone and a computer, and they sit down in front of the computer and sing some songs, and all of a sudden they start sending out their music. And whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, I don't know, because there's lots of really good young people. But one positive thing is actually, um, even though it's extra work for someone like you with great ears, but at least someone reached out, you, out to you directly and you made the decision or you advised them, even though maybe they didn't want to hear your opinion, rather than a record company getting in the middle and saying no to them or maybe saying yes to them. And then so at, yeah, least, true. At, least, at least there's a little bit of more of a connection. And one thing I wanted to add, I'm so glad you mentioned just about the changes. Um, we actually, um, Bettina and I especially are real environmentalists. We have a compost and and don't use any plastic water bottles um, when possible. And so, uh, yeah, going back to the things that you mentioned about where our world is headed, um, it is a little bit um, very, very scary that uh, that we could annihilate ourselves. Uh, I know um, I'm a big fan of Neil deGrasse Tyson, and he does have a Cosmos episode with that very, very same subject matter. Uh, he has another one, too, about robotics as well. Um, but, you know, really? Oh, genetic cool. engineering and, and just keeping you the environment you- clean. You said you're into composting? Yeah, we've been doing composting for many years. I'm a fanatic. Have you you ever tried worm composting? I want to. I haven't tried it, but we thought about it. Um, Look at it it and and try it. It's 
it, it, it's absolutely fantastic. I bought one of these worm composters. Just Google worm composter. And I, I bought one of these things where you put in layers. You start off, they send you the basic stuff. And, and you put in soil and some other things, uh, minerals and stuff. And then just start giving them your uh, worn out lettuce and pieces of tomato or what, ha what have you cardboard, uh, all sorts of things. You can't even imagine. Just Google what worms uh, what worms in a composter can eat. And it's absolutely fantastic because as they finish the first layer, you put in the, the next layer, and they, they work their way up into the next layer and leave nothing but compost in the bottom layer. And you wow. can keep it in your house. I have mine in my basement where it's nice and cool, and it's and already we've had it for a little, a little more than a month and a half maybe, and uh, the bottom layer is total compost. It's just the richest compost that you could possibly get with worm castings in it and all sorts of stuff. But well, look uh, into yeah. it if you're into composting. It's it's clean. It's not uh, you know initially the worms try to get out because right. the they're a little stunned. But after a couple of days, they uh, settle in, and they're quite happy now. That's very cool. That's very cool. I live, in, I live in paradise. We're up here in the Catskills on three and a half acres of land, and we raise chickens. And we actually we love it up there. We actually played um, a bunch of different uh, things up there. And also, yeah. if, if, the pod, if your podcast, if this podcast comes out before September 9th, I would love to say that, Friday, September 9th, we'll be at Alley Cat in Kingston um, as Banjo Nickaroo and Western Scritches Trio with Patina Hershey and Dr. David Pleasant. And that's a great club, great energy. The owner is a huge fan of music, and we'll be playing there on here Friday, September 9th. It's called Alley Cat in Kingston, so for our upstate music. Hey, Nick, it was so much fun talking to you, and uh, like I said, Hopefully we'll meet up one one of these days. And That'd be great. We'll be happy to give you a ride if we come out there with two cars or a car room. <laughs> if you want to go to one of the the gigs upstate. <laughs> How cool! <laughs> yeah. Thanks, well, Nick, thanks, and thanks, Marty. Bettina, for talking. And hopefully we'll see you soon. That sounds great. We so appreciate it. Thank you so much for making time in your busy schedule for us. You're very welcome. Have okay, a great day, care. Nick. Oh, you too. Bye bye. Thanks, Marty. Okay, bye. Bye. So there you have it, Banjo Nickaroo, Nick Russo, and Bettina Hershey. And I do hope you enjoyed the conversation with them. And once again, the website for Banjo Nickaroo is simply Banjo Nickaroo. That's N-I-C-K-A-R-U dot com. And uh, you can uh, follow all of the uh, information that Nick gave you during the course of this interview or simply go to the website and you'll be able to link into other things. Banjo Nickaroo right here on Mostly Folk, and I thought we'd finish up the program today with the, the final cut from the album. This is This Little Light of Mine. Here's Banjo Nickaroo and the Western Scritches. Get ready, my child. You got 
with the final track on their new album, Very Next Thing, Banjo Nickaroo and the Western Scooches. And remember, it's banjonickaroo.com. There's a ton of information on the website and also lots of YouTube videos if you want to see what this band looks like live. You definitely will not be disappointed. Uh, They will get you up off your feet and certainly show you a good time. And I will bet you will not regret going to see them in concert. And as Nick said, September 9th, they'll be in Kingston, New York, for those of you in this area. And the official release date of the album is September 30th at the Rockwood Music Hall Stage 3, 196 Allen Street, New York. And that's about it. I want to thank Nick and Bettina for joining me today. This is Audie Martello wishing you a terrific day wherever you are. And I hope to see you right back here next time on Mostly Folk. Who cares about the clouds when we're together? Just sing a song and bring the sunny weather. Happy trails.